Well, I titled the sermon, The Lord of Kings, all caps, The Lord of Kings and Kingdoms. And this is a spectacular passage here today. Um, let's, by way of review, just remember where we were a couple weeks ago. Um, if you're visiting with us or you're new here, uh, we covered this ground, the first part of chapter 2. Uh, king Nebuchadnezzar is a, a ruthless tyrant king who has succeeded. He is no, uh, ruling the known world. And, uh, and yet he has had a very vivid and disturbing dream. This dream has caused him to lose sleep, and I, I'm inclined to think it's a reoccurring dream. I think he is having this dream, and every time he closes his eyes, every night, it just continues to haunt him, and he's just driven nuts by it. And he gathers all of his wise men, all the sorcerers and wizards of his pagan Babylonian culture, and he says, listen, I want you to, to do two things. This is an impossible demand. I want you to not only interpret the dream, but I want you to tell me what my dream was. It was a test to see if these guys were blowing smoke or if they were really able to tell with confidence what this dream means. That's what he lays down for them, an impossible demand. And then he says, uh, if you don't do this, you'll be torn limb from limb. And you got to know, King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't just say things like this and not do them. This guy is violent. He is, he is known uh, for his um, over-the-top violence, and so he's serious. And these wizards and wise men, they're like, we can't do it. No man could reveal to the king what he is demanding. It's impossible. Well, he says, all right, kill them all. Out goes the captain and comes across Daniel, and Daniel's like, Why, what's, the, what's the hurry? What's going on? Why are you killing the wise men? And so they sit down and have a chat. And Daniel says, well, give me a, a meeting with the king. And he goes in and, and requests time um, to seek the Lord. And the, the king gives him the time that he was not happy to give the others. And the Lord answers in a, in a night vision. Daniel is given not only the interpretation, but also the dream itself. And so it is a supernatural disclosure that he has. And Daniel breaks immediately into worship. He delights in the God who has answered. He has shown mercy. Otherwise, Daniel and his friends would be dead. They pray to the Lord, and he answers. And so I believe this is the very next morning. With haste, Daniel is moving now to share what he has heard from the Lord in this night vision that God has given him. That's where we pick up today, boasting in the sovereign one. On the back of your bulletin, you'll see some sermon notes, and it's always helpful when covering this many verses at once to kind of track along and see the structure that God has given us in this, in this book. Boasting in the Sovereign One, verse 24. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation." This is a confident and an urgent message. Um, again, I, I go back to this. Kind of, I'm kind of thinking if I'm Daniel and I know the God who is, I would be inclined to say, well, you can go ahead and destroy all the godless and pagan wise men. Just don't destroy us. But Daniel is giving a, a gift of grace and covering a display of the greatness of God over all the pagans and the non-gods uh, that they had been uh, purporting to represent before the king. So, 
Then Arioch brought Daniel in before the king in haste. This is a hurry. You've got to get to him quick. This, this king's coming undone, and people are, 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 are about to be killed. And he says thus to him, this is Arioch now, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. Okay, you got you to catch this, this, this setup here. I have found. Okay, this is Arioch, the captain who's been assigned to kill all these people. He is taking credit now. He's, he's taking credit for in, in whatever way he can. He wants the king to know, I did this. I, I found him. He wasn't even looking. He was just out to slay all the wise men. Then the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have had, that I have seen and its interpretation. Don't miss that. This is his emphasis. So you have what I would, 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 would say you've got a credit-taking captain and a short-fuse, skeptical, tyrant king. You've got to feel the moment here. I don't believe that Nebuchadnezzar really has any confidence that Daniel has anything but smoke to blow before him again. That's what all his other wise men have done, so why would this guy be any different? And he wasn't even involved in the initial request. This is a Hebrew, a teenage Hebrew from a, a country that we conquered. What kind of God would he serve if we have smashed their country? So this is a contest now, not just between um, the, the wise men and, and, and the scenario that, that Nebuchadnezzar has. This is a contest of gods. Whose God reigns supreme? And I don't think Nebuchadnezzar believes that Daniel can do either. So the captain seeks the credit, and the king is a skeptic. Daniel answers the king. Now just put yourself in his shoes in this moment. You know the ominous threat. You, you know what lingers. If, if, if this doesn't come out correctly, and if this is in any way off, or you handle this wrong, you will be torn limb from limb. Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he, he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Note what he's doing. He could have just gone right in. You know, I would be inclined to be like, okay, okay. <laughs> Why, why wait for the water to boil? Like, let's just get in here and get this thing out. Here's the dream. Here's the interpretation. Let me go. No. The first thing Daniel wants to do is make clear. There is a God in heaven. He is the one who has done this. No wise men, no enchanters. And we're going to see very soon, not even Daniel would put himself in that place. This is God's doing. This is his work. Arioch says, I have found a man. He takes credit. Daniel says, there is a God in heaven. Note the contrast. That's purposeful. That is so good for us. We live in a day of Arioch's. We live in a day of, look at what I've done. Check out the name on this jersey. Make sure you note all of my accomplishments. Look at the work of my hand. Even people who tattoo self-made on their knuckles. 
That's the day in which we live, and it's not all that different from this day. Arioch wants the king to know his accomplishments. Daniel says, I want you to know God. I want you to know God. Let your light shine before men that they might see your good works and what? Glorify you? No. Glorify God in heaven. This is our mission, friends. This is what we do. Daniel leads the way. So right. It's dialed in. He goes on. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. So he is going to tell him the dream. He starts with the dream. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he, but before he tells him the dream, he wants to be totally confident that Nebuchadnezzar knows this is God's doing. God did this. He who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be, but as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So once again, he, I mean, he is riding the brakes in, in bringing the disclosure of the dream and its interpretation. He wants to... Um, to double down on the fact that this is God's doing. This is important because Daniel could very easily take credit like Arioch is seeking to do. But instead, twice now, before he says it, he points up to, to the God who is. This is God's work. He's the one that did this. The wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man. This is a significant point of contrast in this book, and I think it's significant for us to pause and just consider this. We in our day are inclined to trust the wisdom of man, to look to all of the the work of mankind, to think that somehow we can conquer or, or overcome the ills of our society. If we just put enough brain power to work, then we can fix it all. How's that working out? It's not really working out, is it? I was talking with some guys the other day about AI. Here's the thing about AI, designed by depraved people. AI is not the hope for the future because it's designed by people who are totally depraved. And apart from God's grace, AI will only be used in in many ways to bring about a greater degree of evil and destruction. Now, you say, oh, pastor, that's a pessimistic view. I know that there are things that it can do and it's going to be great and all of that, but I'm telling you this, just like every technology, the depravity of mankind will display itself in a degraded uh, flow. It, it doesn't move up, it moves down. We see that on display here. The wisdom of God, however, that is pure. That is what we need. That is the, 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 the thing that changes the equation. In this world, men and women who seek after God, who look to Him for wisdom, they are the ones who find it. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, Paul says. <laughs> what a statement. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. So take every human intellectual capacity and pull it all together in, a, in one big supercomputer. And if it were possible for God to at all be foolish, 
His foolishness would far exceed the, the scope of human intellectual capacity. The weakness of God, I, I tend to think pinky. The pinky of God is stronger than the collective might of all mankind through all of history. That, is God weak? No. Is God foolish? No. Paul's not suggesting. He's saying that if it was possible that he was, he would still be smarter, stronger, higher, greater than all. The context points to the foolishness of the gospel the way God has designed salvation to come, it's not by works. It's through the crucifixion of His Son, Jesus. It's not, that's not an intellectual pursuit. You don't just smart your way into the kingdom of God. You throw your hands open and say, I have nothing. Save me. It's faith. I love the book of James. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Ask in faith without doubting. If you want wisdom, if you're in a situation of life, if you're seeking a decision, a significant decision to make, and you're trying to figure out, what, Lord, what should I do? Run to him. Ask others to pray with you. I saw this just recently. A brother came up, and he's like, I'm weighing out this job thing, and I don't know what to do. I just want to do what the Lord wants me to do. So we prayed together. We committed to pray. And, and he came back the next week and he said, the Lord made it clear. The Lord made, he, he made it simple. And I'm walking through that door. I'm trusting him. If you lack wisdom, and we do, run to God. That's the one we need. Just like Daniel displays for us here. Now, let's look at the image in the stone. This is the dream. The image and the stone, verses 31 through 35. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Okay? This is detail. This is the kind of detail the king expected to be told from all of these pagan wise men. They could never have done this. But the level of detail that Daniel brings comes straight from the God who brought the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away, so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. At this point, we're like, all right, what in the world is going on here? Even if the wise men of Babylon could have understood the dream and, and, and seen what Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed, what in the world would they do with that? How would they make sense of this? Hmm. You have a head of fine gold, chest and arms of silver, middle and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, feet, uh, feet of iron and clay, and a stone cut by no human hand. 
This feels sometimes about like the dreams I have. It's just like, what in the world does that mean? I have no idea what's going on. Thank you, Lord, that you're in control, and we run through the day. This one, though, this was a dream of dreams. This was no regular thing. This was of God, and he had a purpose for it. Here's an artist's rendition of what this may have looked like. Um, been, this guy had been to CrossFit, I'm thinking, right? He's ripped. Here is the, uh, the head of gold and then the arms of silver, then down to the bronze and the legs of iron and the feet mixed with iron and clay. That's significant as well. So four major components to this image are in view. That's the dream. That's the dream. Now, this is significant. If Daniel would have erred here, if he would have gotten this wrong, he would have been cut off right there. That's it. Out, off with his head, tear him limb from limb. But he nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. And at this point, I think Nebuchadnezzar is sitting back like, oh, oh, wow, look at this guy go. He did what no one else could do. And he is a captive audience at this point. Now, the interpretation. Verses 36 through 45. God rules and reigns forever. God rules and reigns forever. This was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation. I love the we there. Aren't you struck by that? Now, the commentators, they go back and forth. and it, I don't know. I, you just got to say, either Daniel and his buddies are there, which is, that's very possible that he brought them. Um, but there's no mention of them being there in that moment. It's that Daniel went before the king. So what's the we then? I'm inclined to think that he's talking about God. We, where did the dream come from? Who told him the interpretation? He is there, but he is not alone. He stands before the king with the very presence of God right there, and he speaks on behalf of God. This is, this is a word from the Lord as he serves as God's mouthpiece, the prophet of God, to a pagan king. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given. Now, in your Bible, you might just underline some of these moments here in this passage. This is so significant. To whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, and into, and, and into whose hand he, that is the God of heaven, has given wherever they dwell the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. Who made Nebuchadnezzar rule over them all? The God of heaven. And then he says this, you King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. You're the head of gold. It's fascinating that we're not given a lot else, as far as interpretation goes, of the rest of the, of the statue. Um, we are just given primarily the head of gold. History helps us fill in the gaps here on this, and so does chapter 8 as we uh, move through the book of Daniel. But here it is. So, a few principles that I want to draw uh, our attention to as we move through this interpretation. Four principles. These are not in your sermon notes, and they're somewhat long, so you might have to use your phone if you need that, um, or you can find me afterwards, and I'll, I'll try to get them to you. Principle number one, our God is worthy of all glory, 
honor, and obedience. He is the sovereign source of all earthly power, glory, victory, and dominion. He's just, I mean, this is so significant. This is one of the main points of God's purpose in revealing this dream. Why did God do this for, for a pagan king? What's his, what's his goal? One of his goals is to communicate to one of the most glorious rulers the earth has ever known. I put you there. You see that gold, that fine gold? That's you. I did that. I did that. And you might say, well, sure, but Nebuchadnezzar, he fought. He did. But why did he win and not die? God. Who strengthened and gave the victory? God. Who allowed a pagan and ruthless ruler to to be in the position that he was in? Who wielded him as a tool of discipline on his own chosen people? God. Why did he win in Jerusalem? God. Why is he able to haul off captives from the the Holy Land? God. This is the whole point. Who is sovereign? That's really the the question that is, is being proposed here. The answer is God. There is but one true, ultimate, sovereign. Everyone else receives from Him whatever power and position they are given. Now, this is not new to us, but it's stated in such a spectacular way in Daniel. We saw this in Romans 13, verse 1, uh, the, the second half of verse 1. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist in this world whatever position they have, have been instituted by God. God has placed them there and assigned that authority to them. Even the godless pagan ones, they would not draw breath. They would have no power. They would have no sway. But for the purpose of a sovereign God who has said, this is the plan. This is how it's going to go. And he brings all to pass according to his sovereign will. So it's helpful for us to see that right out of the gate. Interpretation hits hard from the very beginning. Let's go on. Daniel continues, another kingdom inferior to you. Okay, so now we're talking another kingdom. That's what's going on here. As we move from the head of gold, now the silver, that's a different kingdom. Another kingdom inferior to you. So notice, gold, now silver. Less than, inferior. There's a movement here. A, a, a degradation of these kingdoms as it moves all the way down to the ground. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. At this point, Nebuchadnezzar's not enjoying this as much. He was digging that, you're the head of fine gold. Ooh, yeah, I agree, right? That's exactly right. But then this is like, uh-huh. I don't like where this is going. There shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. So successive kingdoms are in view. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. So this last movement here, these legs and feet, 
they're, they're, as they meet the ground there, they are, they're brittle. Some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, so it's not totally weak, but it's iron mixed with soft clay. That's not a good combination. As the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. Okay, there's some major um, exploration and, and, and contemplation about what that is, what is happening there. And here, here's what you remember in, in the middle of this. When the Word of God gives interpretation, stick with that. St- stick with that. You don't have to run all over the place to try to figure out what it is. So this is the interpretation of the dream. And so, so here we go. We have history's help to look and see how God has ordained and brought these things to pass. But there are things yet undone, yet, yet unfinished, that we will see someday. So the big thing here, I think the main takeaway is these kingdoms are te- temporary. Every ruler, everyone who's, who's, who's at the top wants to stay there. They begin thinking, well, how can I keep power? How can I consolidate power? How can I not die? Like, I, I don't want to die. I want to keep doing what I'm doing. I don't want anyone else coming in on my kingdom. And King Nebuchadnezzar has heard with clarity from the God of heaven that he is a blip on the radar screen of world history. There is another kingdom coming, and another one after that, and another one after that. It is good for men to know their mortality. Good to be reminded often. We are here for a short time. It's just short. It's the, the first inch of a rope that never ends. That's the 80, maybe, maybe 90 years we get. And yet eternity awaits. What happens in those short years matters, my friends. Especially as we consider the God of heaven. So ahead of fine gold, Babylon. That's what, that's what the interpretation gives. And then I think in chapter 8, we're going to see that Medo-Persia... Um, is the, the chest of arms and silver. And historically, that's exactly what took place. King of Persia came in with great strength and put down uh, the Babylonian Empire. And then after that, Alexander the Great came storming through and took over the known world. Greece, we're talking hundreds of years of world history told before it happened. And then Rome is on the scene. The legs of iron, the crushing strength of Rome that shatters everything, and yet a brittle Rome, trying to rule and reign over all these different peoples and made up and comprised of of clay and iron. So we can get lost in speculation and all the details. This is not the point, though, of the dream. So so don't get lost in all of the, well, how many toes, and what do the toes mean, and did we see all the toes? Are the toes coming? This guy has a toe problem. That's, That's it. That's all we know. There's a toe issue with this statue. Okay, principle number two, our God is the Lord of kings and kingdom. That's the that's sermon title. He is the Lord, the sovereign one over all kings and kingdoms. He changes. Now, th- just, just think about this. When Daniel received 
the, the dream and its interpretation. This is what Daniel worshiped. These are his words. He, the sovereign one, changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. So it's right for us to conclude the meaning of this dream, at least in part, is God rules and he reigns over every single king and every single kingdom of earth of all time. He is the only sovereign in this place. He is glorious. Now, friends, this is comforting. I find comfort in this because that means that there is never someone in the White House that God is like, oh, man, I did not see that coming. I don't know. I mean, we're going to have to rewrite some stuff here. What do we do with this country? No. No one is in that White House but by the hand and plan of our sovereign God. Now, they might be there to punish or they might be there to bless. There's some soul searching that can be done by a nation who chooses to stiff arm God and then wonders why things are falling apart. He is sovereign over kings and kingdoms. He removes kings and he sets up kings. Now, Daniel goes on. Let's talk about this, this, uh, this stone. In those days, the king of... Uh, the, uh, in the days of those kings, okay, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up, these are key words here, he will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people, which means it's invincible and it's everlasting. That's awesome. It shall break, that is the kingdom that God sets up, shall break to pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever, just as you saw that the stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand. Which means, this is not an earthly king. This is the work of God. And I think it's very likely here we're talking about Jesus Christ. The stone, cut by no human hand, that is brought in and breaks to pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Now, I love that stamp at the very end. Why is Daniel so confident? In himself? No, he already made that clear. This is not me. Don't, don't, don't miss this, king. I come to you Thus saith the Lord. It's the same way I come into this pulpit. You've got to know that. I have such great confidence coming before you, my friends, to bring the word of God to you. This is his word. It's sure. It's trustworthy. It'll change your life. Don't take my word for it. I'm just another sinner saved by grace. Look at what he's done. Look at what he's promised. Take him at his word. Let's talk about this stone. In Luke 20, Jesus referred to himself in this way. He was actually looking back to Old Testament quotations, Isaiah 28, Psalm, I think it's Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls or trips over that stone will be broken to pieces, shattered. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. What is true about this stone? 
Either you find everything precious and, and, and salvation itself in this stone, or you will be totally destroyed by it. Either you stand upon him as your firm foundation, your hope alone, your solid rock in this life and the next, or you will trip over him in unbelief and experience the fires of hell forever. He will crush you or he will save you. There's no middle ground. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Principle number three. Our God will bring all earthly kingdoms to an end in His all-wise and sovereignly ordained time. I think we see that here in this, in this passage. It's not just these four kingdoms in view. Now, this is when God set up, I believe, His kingdom, starts small, grows big, as a mountain fills the whole earth. Someday we're going to see that physically on a new heavens and new earth. The millennial reign, think of this, Jesus himself in person on the throne, ruling and reigning, we together with him, 1,000 years. We're not there yet. But there is coming a certain end to every single earthly kingdom. Who is the king of all kings? His name is Jesus. Who is the Lord of all lords? His name is Jesus. We know his name. What a treasure this is. The stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That's verse 35 in chapter 2. Now look at how 2 Peter that we just studied refers to Jesus. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I, that's the Father speaking, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Look at the contrast. You will either be crushed by him as you stumble over him in unbelief, stiff-arming him and rejecting him, or if you look, at, look to him in faith and say, save me, I'm trusting you alone, you will not be put to shame. You will be saved. That's the promise. You, you wonder why the Old Testament is so significant. Friends, if we didn't have the Old Testament, how would we know that Jesus was the fulfillment of all this? These prophecies matter. They're spectacularly fulfilled by Christ. In his own words, he confirms these. Principle number four. I would say it this way. God has, God has established an everlasting kingdom through his son, Jesus. Who was in power when God sent his son? Upon what kind of cross did Jesus die? When was the kingdom set up by the Father? The Romans were in charge. This is when it began. This is when it was set up. He sent his son to die on a Roman cross under the great torture of a Roman empire. Begin small. Start small. The stone thrown down. How is the kingdom growing today? How is it growing? Every single time a sinner is saved whether that be in this room today or half a world away. It's growing. It's growing. And someday, my friends, someday it will be visible when Christ returns and the trumpet sounds and he catches up his bride and then tribulation unfolds and then millennial kingdom is established. The king returns. 
And for a thousand years, he rules and reigns. And at the end of that, there is absolute decimation of all sin, new heavens, new earth, and forever. It's an everlasting kingdom. There's no threat for those who are saved by this king. This is where the already not yet meets us. Friends, just, just have this in your mind. Whenever you're working with prophecy, there's, there's oftentimes in Scripture an already and a not yet. I think that's true of here. Has it been set up? I believe so. Already. The king is seated next to the Father. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And he is coming again. He is coming again. And we're going to see him. And there will be a physical kingdom that is invincible and unending that he rules and reigns and we experience by grace. Spectacular revelation. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus is even on the scene. Now, we'll finish these verses 46 through 49. Honor and promotion. Honor and promotion. The king... Uh, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel. Now, you've got to imagine this happening. You talk about uncomfortable. This is the guy that everyone pays homage to. And now all of a sudden, Daniel, the slave, the teenage Hebrew slave, the nobody, has the head of fine gold on his face, bowing to him. And you've got to know this. Daniel was not cool with that. He made so clear, don't think this is me. Look up. That's the whole point. Nebuchadnezzar commanded that an offering, an incense, be offered up to Daniel. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is a God of gods. Now we're getting there. And the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors. And great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Oh man, imagine the humbling moment that that was when the teenage Hebrew slave walks in and is in charge of the brain trust of Babylon in all its paganness, in all its evil and darkness. Only God. Only God. Daniel made a request and requested of the king. This is kind of an evidence. This isn't just you know, hot air that the king is saying. He actually puts him in position. And Daniel makes a request to Nebuchadnezzar and has it granted. He wanted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. And Daniel remained in the king's court. So here's what happens. That sets us up for next week. That's a setup for, for, for the handoff where Daniel really isn't in view, but these three guys are. Okay, so come back. And we'll see how that goes. Hang with me, kids. You can make it. That's good. Oh, you can read ahead if you want. I mean, you can always read ahead. Okay. Protection and promotion. Who did this? God. Oh, friends, don't ever forget this. I just, when we pray... Make sure you circle back around. When God answers prayers, we were praying that the Benfonti's moving trailer would, would arrive. It was late, like days late. They were sleeping on the floor, and 
I was trying to blow up my camping air mattress and I felt so bad. And, and, and so we're praying. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, on, on was it Friday? We get word, it's, it's coming. So we're scrambling to get guys to help unload. In that moment, Lord, thank you. This was not just happenstance. You answered prayer. Thank you. We ascribe gratitude to you. We, we honor you. In your life, Christian, do this every day. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. We are so blessed by this God. Now, here's a question for next week. Did Nebuchadnezzar really turn away from pride and bow before the Lord of kings? Did he? Or is this just kind of awe and amazement and then on to more of me? Come back next week on that one as well. Our response this morning, a few thoughts. How did this all begin? I, I think this is how it began. King Nebuchadnezzar sitting on his throne, looking over the beautiful Babylon that he would say, my hands have made, right? It's coming. Oh, the beautiful blue gates and the hanging gardens, the, the wonders of the world that he has put together, all the empire secure and under his iron fist. So maybe head of gold. And he's wondering, you know, what comes after this? Is this secure? What, what happens when I die? This is really his question. It was a legacy thought. What is this legacy? Is who, who gets this when I'm gone? That's how it all began. And so I would ask you this morning, what kind of legacy are you pursuing in this life? With the first inch of an unending rope. That, that short 80 or 90 years that God has given, what kind of legacy are you pursuing? Are you living for the fleeting pleasures of this life? Trying to build an earthly kingdom that will fade? If you're doing that and you're wondering why your soul is not satisfied, I can tell you it's because you were made to be a worshiper of God. Not of fleeting pleasures and material possessions that will someday pass from you to someone else, to someone else, to someone else. I was just struck by this church. I didn't build this church. There were all kinds of other people that constructed the walls of this church, most of whom are not in this room. And yet here we are. Blink! And we'll all be replaced. There'll be someone else in the pulpit by the grace of God preaching God's word faithfully. We'll all be in the ground, Lord willing, souls with the Lord. And there'll be in another generation that fills this space. What kind of legacy are you pursuing? What are you after in this life? Here's what I would point you to. The prayer that our Savior taught His disciples to pray. Our Father in heaven glorify your name. May you be glorified above all else. That's the longing. Hallowed be your name. Second prayer request. May your kingdom come. Not my kingdom. Your kingdom. The one that never ends. May it come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Be a part of something that lasts forever. If you're going to labor, then labor with all your might for things that matter and last a thousand years from now, are the things that you're living for going to matter? 
This will. The glory of God will. Everything done for him in faith, for his glory, for his kingdom, for his renown, that will matter. Pour yourself into that place. It's so easy to get distracted and tied up in in blips on the radar screen. Building big, beautiful gates and houses and hanging gardens. And it's all rubble just a few years later. This question has to be asked before we go. Where do you stand with King Jesus? The stone. Is he for you the treasure of all treasures? The foundation stone upon which you're building your life? Your hope alone in this life and the next? The Savior that is the only Savior that can deliver you from the wrath of God? Or is he kind of an afterthought? If he's an afterthought, he will crush you. He will crush you someday. Pay heed to him. Bow before him. Turn from your sins and run to him. Let him be Lord and Master and King in your heart. Say, Lord, come, save me, deliver me. Be my king. Rule my life. You can be saved from your sins today. He has accomplished all the work that is necessary to be your Savior and hope. Let's pray. Father, we delight in you and we thank you for the gift that you have given, the gift of salvation that that because of your love you sent your Son to live in this world without sin, to lay down his life and to die on a cross, pain for the wrath and the sins that, that we have stored up. Lord, we're delighting in that sacrifice today. Jesus, we esteem you above all. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You sit enthroned above all else at the right hand of God the Father. We, we, we long for your return. We can't wait to see you face to face. And while we wait, Lord, we revel in your lordship and your sovereign reign. Use us, we pray, in this dark place to point to you to give glory to you, to echo up your excellence and to tell as many people as we can find about the hope for sinners like us. The only hope is Jesus, the stone that the builders rejected. Jesus, you are our cornerstone and we trust you today. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.